This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. How many people know how credit cards work today? I would say almost 0% of credit card users actually know how they work under the hood and the complexities that go on there or loyalty points programs or most technology really. So the art is really not having to educate them to the point that they really need to understand how it works. It's just, does it provide value? How much do people really need, like really need to know about a technology to use it? Our guest today, Dan O'Prey, the chief product officer of crypto at Bact, that's B-A-K-K-T, is a veteran in the blockchain arena. He makes it very clear in his work at Bact, when it comes to using crypto or earning crypto in loyalty programs, people just need to have beneficial products that are easy to use. Listen in for more crypto insights from Dan and enjoy this episode. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Albert. Hey, listen, we're pumped to hear what you're up to. I'm personally very much interested in this space. But before we get to it, we got to get to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Dan, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Yeah, I am. Sounds good. All right, man. We, we checked you out on Twitter You've listed your location in Bitcoin City, El Salvador. Have you actually moved to El Salvador? I haven't, though. I, uh, I live in New Jersey, unfortunately, but uh, definitely a dream of mine. I went down there last year and very exciting with everything that's going on with Bitcoin. So, yeah, I was fun factoid. I was at Sunzal when it was announced, when the president announced they were going to Bitcoin as the currency, which then they started calling Sunzal Bitcoin Beach. So definitely check that place out when you can. I've been down there. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You're obviously a crypto fanatic. Uh, you have listed, uh, uh, for example, on your Twitter, it says Bitcoin has already won. What makes you so bullish on Bitcoin? I think, uh, you know, Bitcoin's been around for 13 years now, and the amount of adoption and institutional interest and adoption that's rolling out now, I think, you know, Bitcoin's been the number one cryptocurrency since it started. You know, now we're actually starting to see not just El Salvador adopted as legal tender, but recently also the Central African Republic just announced that they're accepting as legal tender. So two relatively small countries, but, you know, nation states nonetheless, uh, and the adoption just continues to, to continue and continue. Uh, and I think it's really unstoppable at this point. How much longer do you think before Bitcoin is widely used in transactions? Because I know it's like being an asset class that people like to hold. But when do you think people are going to freely be spending Bitcoin or Satoshis? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, the original intention was a peer-to-peer electronic cash, not a put it in your hardware wallet and wait for the price <laughs> to go up. So personally, that's, that's what I'm most interested in. And that's you know, back to trying to focus on bringing utility to these assets. Um, I think that really that, that question sort of depends where in the world you're asking it, right? In the US or in, right. in developed countries where there is modern payment infrastructure and Apple Pay and you know credit cards everywhere, the need for it is not as great today. Um, but if you look in Latin America or Africa, people are using it for payments in real life today where they don't have the same level of infrastructure or financial inclusion or access. 
that we do. So it is already being used for payments around the world. Uh, and I think it's going to come to you know more and more to the developed world as that infrastructure gets plugged into to the existing systems. That's what I agree with as well. When for the people that are listening on the podcast and not watching on YouTube, Dan is current background has a nice bookshelf. It's loaded with books. Are you a voracious reader or are those someone else's books? <laughs> they're they're just for uh, the COVID Zoom background now. Um, I used to be, uh, to be honest, I've been a little too busy to 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 keep up. I really want to get back into it, but uh, yeah, I used to read uh, you know a lot, uh, and now I have mostly quite a, a backlog of to read books. When you do read, do you like reading nonfiction? Do you like reading autobiographies? What kind of books do you like to read? Mostly nonfiction. I'm uh, I'm pretty boring, and uh, I like to. To learn about things that are applicable to uh, you know my my job or my life, uh, so I read you know around Bitcoin, economics, politics, uh, things that are, are relevant to to my day to day. Listen, I'm in the same boat as you. When I read a fictional story, I just think to myself, "This, but it's not real." And when you think of the people and what people have done, whether good or bad, I like you. I like nonfiction. I like reading about people have done. I would say. I definitely read a lot about criminals, so I'm, I'm not saying I'm praising them, but like it's wild to hear like what people have done. And so it's uh, it's always an interesting thing. Dan, I want to say thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. During the lightning round, we kind of gave a clue as to what BACT is all about. But for those who are listening for the first time or have not heard of BACT, can you tell us what exactly the company you're the chief product officer for, B-A-K-K-T, it's called BACT, what does it do? Sure. So um, we're actually a little bit unusual in that we have three chief product officers. So there's there's three <laughs> groups. Um, so one on crypto, one on loyalty, and one on payments. So I lead the crypto side, but Bax really is unique in that we're playing across all three in the intersection of all three. Uh, and on the crypto side, or, or you know, really the sort of simplest version way to say it is that we help non-crypto companies offer crypto services to their consumers. So we're very much a B2B2C platform, uh, enabling financial institutions, merchants, other brands to offer uh, multiple different crypto services. Uh, you know, our four core offerings are, are the ability to trade crypto, to get earn crypto rewards, to pay with crypto, or to get paid in crypto. So rather than being a sort of direct-to-consumer crypto exchange that that many listeners maybe follow uh, familiar with. We're really trying to help, you know, go where the users already are at their trusted financial institution or at the merchant, you know, that they, they buy their coffee with every day uh, and enable them to leverage crypto rather than users having to go out of their way and sign up to a, a new exchange. Yeah, that that oh, I think, you know, based on what you just explained, I think I understand it because I'm trying to I always do this on IT Visionaries as I bring it to consumer products that hopefully we all know. And then I'd love for you to explain, like, am I on the right track? Am I on the rock? wrong track. So I equate it similar to credit card points, right? There's multiple credit card financial institutions that partner with merchants, whether it's hotels, airlines, retailers. And uh, so for me personally, I use a travel card and I try to earn points on travel because I want to then travel some more. So you're saying this system back allows the merchant to say, hey, my instead of rewards being points, which I'm going to keep in my loyalty program, I'm going to offer you crypto or loyalty points in exchange for crypto. Is that accurate? 
That, that's one of the things we do, yeah. So we, we also have a large uh, loyalty points uh, business and integrations into multiple points banks there. So kind of maybe taking a step back, Back's kind of vision is to connect the digital economy, and that includes crypto, but it also includes things like loyalty points or any form of asset that's digital and valuable uh, that perhaps users or consumers aren't getting, uh, unlocking as much value or liquidity from. So we help you aggregate your crypto, your loyalty points, uh, and then you can spend them as if they're cash at merchants, uh, or you can, instead of earning points, earn a bit of Bitcoin instead. Uh, so it's really about sort of empowering the end consumer to have flexibility over how they leverage assets that they are earning uh, or acquiring uh, across multiple different partners. Yeah. And for our audience to get an idea of how big the company has already gotten, I want to share this because, of course, there's also a lot of, let's say, negative businesses or fraudulent businesses in crypto. This back is not one of them. They have already partnered with MasterCard, Google, Choice Hotels, Starbucks, Wyndham. I'm just reading off of the website pretty exciting stuff. How did you get into this product line? Like, give us an idea of when did you and the team first start thinking about this, that this was a possibility or this was going to be a likely market? When did you, how did the genesis of Bact originate? So I joined Bact about a year ago, but Bact uh, is actually about three and a half odd years uh, old. So it actually started under the Intercontinental Exchange or ICE. So they're a very large commodities and futures trading organization that owns companies like the New York Stock Exchange. So real institutional heritage and, and trading. And they started there you know, very early in the space, one of the first institutions to get into to Bitcoin and crypto by launching a physically delivered Bitcoin future and custody for, for institutional use. So Bact has been crypto native since day one and really span out of ice. And as you mentioned now, is a, a large independent and public company. We went public on New York Stock Exchange late last year, uh, but we still have that you know institutional heritage, that security, that regulatory compliance uh, that comes from how can we make these you know, crypto assets accessible to uh, traditional financial institutions and, and, and non-financial institutions. And how did you personally get involved where you said, hey, this is a company I want to be a part of? And what drew you and pulled you in? Yeah, I got I got into Bitcoin about nine years ago now um, and was fascinated by the intersection of both the technology and the sort of political element around it as well. And I've been working in the sort of wider blockchain space for for you know, the majority of that, that time. And really, I was looking to go back to focusing on Bitcoin and, and crypto more generally. And I was looking for, you know, there's a range between small startups that can move very quickly, but, um, you know, can't be regulatory compliant and can't necessarily get scale. And then, <laughs> you know, large banks that can't necessarily move quite as quickly. So banks really, for me, was that, that sort of perfect middle ground between a, a tech company that can, can build and ship uh, and deliver, but still large and credible enough and regulatory first enough that it can really actually achieve scale and, and change how the market uh, operates. No, I mean, that makes total sense if you already have a passion for it. When I was doing the homework or our team was doing the homework on Backed, I didn't even really think about like a gap missing in the marketplace, you know, because I think for a lot of people when they are using credit cards or financial reward systems, like systems that already exist, it's sometimes hard to think outside of like what you already know. And then when I was reading the prospectus or the information online, I was like, oh, this totally makes sense. When it comes to crypto though, there's a big... I would say gap 
And the gap is consumer understanding of what it is. And so backed, does backed have, I'm curious, does it have an interface? Do you help? Like, uh, I know you're on the product side. Is the interface more for like the merchants or is it for consumers to also see what they're, see what's happening? Because I found that this is probably the biggest chasm to cross of why wide scale adoption isn't here yet is because if you really think about it, most people, maybe not for you, because your circle probably knows what crypto is. I'm telling you, my circle does not. <laughs> they, I tend to hang out with like the ruffians of like the CrossFit gym or something. They have no concept of what this is. And it's hard for them to even envision. So like to visualize it in a product makes it, I would say that's a unique challenge. Talk about the challenge of helping someone understand how the system works and what crypto is and all that stuff. Yeah, no, it, it is a huge challenge, as you say. And there's, you know, not all cryptos are the same. There's a lot of nuance and differences between them. They were designed for different trade-offs and for different use cases and different purposes. So that there's an immense amount of, uh, you know, understanding that people really need to sort of, you know, get really, really in the weeds. Uh, and really, we're trying to help, you know, the normal people on the street, not the the diehard cryptos. And I have to remind myself we're not, you know, not targeting me uh, every day to make sure I'm not building myself products that no one else wants. But you know, we're really <laughs> targeting Main Street, normal, um, normal users, normal Americans to start with, uh, and making that as simple as possible. And, and part of that is, you know, where we show up and how we show up. So they may not be, you know, looking to put their life saving, you know, go and sign up to a crypto exchange and make a huge investment day one. Sure. But how can we make it easy for them to get started in a way that is, you know, non-threatening or, or simple? And, and one of those ways is with crypto rewards, right? So if you're spending money and you're earning cash back or you're getting points or, or other forms of, of rewards, that's perceived as sort of free money, right? So people don't mind putting a little bit of that, I'll just get a little bit of crypto and see what happens instead of getting points or instead of getting a little bit of cash. So it's a, an easy on-ramp for them to get their feet wet without having to make a sort of substantial investment from their from their savings. Uh, and then that helps them you know, on the journey as they start to understand it. And, and we do have, you know, multiple different ways that we show up. So we are, a, you know, as I mentioned, we are a platform that integrates and allows other companies to, to provide these services primarily. So in some cases, those partners have full control over the front end. In some cases, we provide a sort of embedded web experience that we host and brand as our partner so that we can, you know, help provide the faster time to market and, you know, more control and education for those end consumers and then we also have a, our own consumer app where, where users can sign up directly or aggregate the assets that they purchased or acquired across multiple partners. Yeah. And talk a little bit about like setting up these systems, this marketplace systems where you said, because consumers can look in and see who's offering rewards and sign up for rewards. It sounds like merchants can look in and say, like, I want to offer rewards. The thing that I think find fascinating about this is because you have that extra layer, which is the complexity of the space to begin with, right? The fact that not not that many people understand what crypto is. And there's always a gap. You kind of hinted at it where product designers, you already hinted at it, like they, they suffer from almost like a curse of knowledge, right? Because you know something, you assume that someone else knows it too. But when in reality, they have no clue what you what you know. And therefore, like there's a gap. There's a, like a big gap. And that's like the that's the key to like a great product. Can you narrow the gap to the point where the average Joe or Jane can easily see what you see. Big challenge, right? How do you think about closing this gap? Because I think yours is uniquely large because you're doing something that's 
I think more advanced probably than, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to teach a customer how to open like a, a project management software board because they've probably been exposed to project management somewhere else. Right. Yeah. But what you're doing is a bit of a gap. I'm curious, how do you guys think about approaching it? What are your methodologies for testing and testing hypotheses to see how this all comes together? Because I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of trial and error to get people to understand this. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. And there, there definitely is a huge gap. But I would also maybe say that, you know, how many people know how credit cards work today? I don't know. <laughs> I, I would say almost 0% of credit card users actually know how they work under the hood and the complexities that go on there or or loyalty points programs or, or most technology, really. So for for me, I think the, the art is really you know, not having to to educate them to the point that they really need to understand how it works. It's just, does it provide value? Okay. And they may be using something that, you know, under the hood, they don't necessarily understand the innards or shouldn't have to understand the innards of how it works. It's about sort of abstracting away a lot of that complexity. So normal people don't have to worry about uh, learning the exact specifics uh, under the hood and, and just providing that value, whether they're using crypto or fiat or points, uh, it shouldn't really matter to them. Yeah. What are some, I guess, the product challenges that you've, that you're most proud of that you've overcome? Because I feel like when I talk to product people, there's always that one thing. It's like, Hey, we couldn't figure out how to get users to do this. And we got, this is how we did it. What are some of the things that you're proud of? And what are some of the things on the horizon that you think are coming down the road? Yeah. I mean, so we, we are sort of in the process of, of rolling out a lot of these uh, these services today. And uh, so we have, you mentioned the partnership with MasterCard and we'll you know be launching you know, different card programs and card rewards. Uh, then we also have partnerships with Fiserv and Finastra who are sort of core banking middleware providers that enable community banks, regional banks to offer their uh, you know, crypto trading to their consumers. Oh, that's cool. So those are all going live over the, you know, the course of the remainder of the year. So most of the challenges are really in, you know, unique to our business model in that we are working through partners or in some case through partners, partners to get to their end <laughs> consumers. Uh, so it's not, you know, in the direct consumer where you're running an app and you can actually just, you know, roll out an A-B test and get some data and see what, what comes back. Uh, you don't have that level of control or necessarily agility when you're you're rolling through multiple partners and, and not in direct control of the the end consumer experience. So, I think you know maintaining those standards and maintaining making it super convenient and super easy whilst working through multiple different partners and multiple different integration options is is certainly the biggest challenge. But very proud of of where we are today and where we'll be uh, later this year. Do you see a lot of people, uh, whether young or experienced, it doesn't matter, engineers, tech talent, just people in general, are they, are they gravitating towards crypto as a subject? Like they want to work on these projects or do you feel like you're in the similar struggle as we've heard across the board? The technical talent struggle is real. There's only so many people. Every company needs tech talent. You're no different. I mean, you, you that's primarily what you need. Yeah. Do you think it's easier or more people interested in crypto or are there like, I guess, enough crypto companies now that like the, the engineers that want to work in this space really have a lot of options too? I, I'd say the latter. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the people who, who, you know, have experience working in this space is, you know, a very small pool relatively to, to other technologies, given how, how new it is. Certainly, as you say, there's a lot of interest and in a lot of people coming into the space and learning and starting out, but 
the amount of people with actual depth of experience who've been there and done it is is very small and, and super competitive. And the amount of you know crypto companies and you know traditional companies that are hiring crypto talent right now uh, is fiercely competitive. So definitely you know a heightened struggle to to find those people with with expertise, but. On the flip side, as you said, no shortage of people that are coming from different technologies, adjacent technologies, or or wanting to, you know, even on the non-engineering side, uh, it, it's the hot place to be right now that people want to come across and, and and participate in. For yourself, what kind of talent and characteristics are you do you look for? Because you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? There, the uh, the experience pool is probably limited, so you got to take bets on people without that experience specifically. So you're looking more probably for personality or technical characteristics. What kind of things are you looking for that you see make great team members? Yeah, I mean, it sort of varies, right? So so some of the crypto roles are very deep and you need to have, you know, an understanding of cryptography or, or you know, how the actual blockchains work. And then some are more sort of higher level consumer experience. Um, for the, the deep roles, you know, really that's not something necessarily you can learn on the job or, or at least not quickly enough for the roadmap that we have planned. So, uh, really, you know, looking for people who've at least got one to two years experience working in the space. And that is difficult and, and competitive, but, but necessary to find. And then for the sort of wider roles that are a bit more maybe front end or, um, you know, don't directly touch the underlying private keys or, or blockchains. Uh, then that pool is certainly a lot, lot wider, right? Comparatively. Oh, yeah, that that makes complete sense. For yourself personally, uh, you know, we can see on LinkedIn that you've been CEO of a couple of different companies. That you've been, you know, definitely in a leadership role at multiple companies. Give us an idea about yourself. You know, we'd love to hear how your career led you to this place because you you're an internet well international to us in America, but you also worked. In Beijing, it looks like you've been all over the place. Give us an idea of how your experience led you down this path. Yeah, it's been a, been a wild ride and not one that I, I predicted. Uh, so I'm from, <laughs> from London originally and ended up moving to, to Beijing and starting a, a company with a, my Chinese co-founder over there uh, in the cloud space uh, pretty early on, sort of a visual management uh, tool for AWS which was my first, you know, real startup uh, and doing that in a, you know, in a garage in Beijing Normal University Business Park uh, with, you know, three other Chinese guys, three Chinese guys uh, was definitely uh, not the easiest way to start a startup or start your career when you've got, you know, language barriers and cultural barriers. Um, but it was super interesting. I learned a, a lot uh, building out that first company. Um, and then did that for sort of two or three years. And that was around when I discovered Bitcoin uh, and really started to dive deep. And, and that was where I, you know, I wanted to be and wanted to work on. So it, this was good, 2013, 2014. So it was still, you know, it wasn't super early days of Bitcoin, but it hadn't, you know, obviously is nowhere near what it is today. Um, and so I was looking at can I do a startup in the Bitcoin space? And there are essentially sort of two types of startups, exchanges and, and payment processes. And I didn't have you know, the skill sets or, or knowledge to really start either of those types of businesses. So I started to explore what other uses of the technology uh, there could be. So if you've heard the sort of blockchain, not Bitcoin or you know, general underlying blockchain technology, um, that was sort of where we started, uh, co-founded another company called Hyperledger, 
and started, you know, again, just exploring a range of different use cases over the years. And quickly that led to banks and financial institutions sort of pouring in and saying, hey, we've heard about this Bitcoin thing. You know, we think it's nonsense, but blockchain we're really interested in. And there's starting to look at like lots of different ways and particularly the post-trade or back end of financial systems, how you can uh, bring more efficiency to how they operate. Long story short, that ended up moving to San Francisco and then getting acquired in a company in New York called Digital Asset, uh, who created the DAML smart contract language. Um, and that took me even further into the sort of regulated financial services space, helping you know very, very large companies like the Australian Securities Exchange, uh, the ASX, you know, migrate all of the equities in Australia to smart contracts and blockchain. Uh, so huge projects, lots of you know regulatory uh, considerations and engagement around that. Learned a ton over that you know course of that period of you know what the technology is is good for and isn't good for. Um, had you know everyone in the world was wanting to put absolutely everything onto a blockchain <laughs> for some reason, right? It's got to be tokenized, it's got to be on a blockchain or it's not interesting. And that's how people got budgets and got media attention. So, you know, a lot of my biggest learnings was sort of, you know, what the tech is not good, not good for and, and avoiding use cases out of distractions or, or maybe media hype uh, and really trying to keep coming back to, you know, easy to say, but keep coming back to what's the actual end user benefit of this and, and why do you need this technology? Can it be done on other ways, more traditional ways? Um, so that's really helped me sort of narrow the scope of as we evaluate new areas that we could operate in, uh, how can we stay focused and how can we ensure that there's actual long-term value here and not just, you know, riding the hype uh, of whatever's in, in fashion this six months. So in your description of how your career led you to blockchain and how you ended up here at uh, Vact, I thought of two articles as you were talking. The first one was this very famous article, which of course I can't remember the exact title, but it was like on Medium where it said, hey, blockchain is the solution. Like no one's found this problem for blockchain, meaning it was trying to say, hey, blockchain's useless. And it was very popular at the time. The other thing I was thinking about was someone said to me, it's like, the reason why you don't understand blockchain and crypto is because you think you understand money. And like, and I remember reading this hypothesis about like, hey, it's basically say it was it was a it was a open letter to everyone else that hey because you think you understand money you can't conceptualize bitcoin and blockchain but if you could actually understand money that money's nothing but data anyways just it just happens to be between two parties instead of everybody you would understand it's already actually here that when i swipe my credit card it's the let it's the bank saying hey albert owes $25 he's going to give the bank's going to front $25 to starbucks starbucks has a transaction that says you owe me $25 the bank gets 25 and i have to pay them and it's just between three parties and our data that's it right and then it says this is just opens it up you kept saying it comes back to financial services and i think this is where we definitely can help a lot of other people understand this you know Right now, and this is how it's explained to me, I'd love to hear your perspective, is that we already use this idea of blockchain. I mean, this is exactly how the banks manage transactions, meaning they would add like different numbers on the transaction codes, the digital amounts that was stored in a central database. All blockchain is doing is opening it up so that it's not actually governed by just one entity. It's multiple entities. And, it's, and you're saying it move, it allows money to move faster. And for anyone who's attempted to get cash out in an emergency, 
that you will find out that your money is actually not your money. I, I learned this the hard way recently when I was like, oh man, I, you know, I have a business. I need to front a little money to make sure I can make sure the expenses don't get overdraw. And I couldn't move money from one account to another freely. I was surprised by that. And I, and I never thought about it. But in that moment, I finally realized this is what they're talking about. It took like they said, oh, it's going to take six days to clear a clearinghouse. I'm like what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. As you learn how these things work and 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 face some of those challenges, and you know, in some cases, it really is amazing that that the financial system of the world does operate as well as it does. But um, yeah, I think you said it right. The you know, when you when you make a deposit with cash at a bank, you're you're essentially exchanging your money for a promise of someone else's money, and then right the obligations to to repay you that money. And as you use a credit card. There's a whole system of exchanging different obligations between different entities. So when you make a payment with a credit card, you're not actually paying at that point. Your bank is making a promise to pay somebody in the future. That all then gets netted and then ultimately gets settled at commercial bank level. And then commercial banks have to settle with each other down on the Fed wire. And that's only when you know the money is actually moved and actually settled. So there's this whole big, you know, complex system of multiple different entities that are exchanging. You know, promises, rights, you know, sorry, obligations to to pay people in the future, and that does you know can trickle up, right? We've seen you know cases even recently of funds being frozen for political activities in you know liberal democracies where we wouldn't necessarily expect that to be the case. Um, and just like cash, Bitcoin was designed to be a bearer instrument. If you control it, you own it. You can do what you want with it. And that's you know really the the sort of you know end promise of of what people are trying to to get to in that space, and then blockchain more generally is is you know a way to to synchronize data between all these different financial institutions and and help them do things that they do today far more efficiently. So it doesn't take six days to clear uh, <laughs> the clearing house, or if you send an international. Uh, remittance, you know, your bank doesn't even know which bank has the money in the stage of of processing that. So people don't even know when the money will arrive or, or when it will get there. So Bitcoin, you can do it you know, instantly and blockchain hopefully will help the traditional system be far more efficient as well. Yeah. And, you know, my personal experiences, of course, anyone, if you really think about it, and this is why we're excited for companies like Bact to help, you know, help further along these technologies is I'll use an example of inheritance uh, because I re- we had a death in our family a while ago, but like, it's wild to think that I, like my mom's passed away. I'm a named beneficiary. I want you, this is wild. This happened in February. My brother and I have still not seen $1. It, it takes that long wow. to process and prove. Like, I think that's the benefit of like smart contracts, like instantly knows that this is the next account it moves to. And What's insane is, uh, and I and I tell the story because it's a you know it, it kind of shows how antiquated, let's say the the financial system really is. Is in the event of death, somehow the Social Security Administration can instantly inform all the banks so that those accounts get frozen. So that's frozen, but the mortgage on the house, which has just a nominal amount left, continues to want to draw, but it can't draw from the, the original account. So that's been frozen. Mm. So me and my brother have been paying the mortgage through our own money and none of this is cleared yet. It still has to like through paper trails, court systems, like all this has to happen. So it, it's wild to think, but like your money's not actually your money. It is a series of data points. And if that data is processed by paper, which 
in the case of like death, it's processed by paper. It's a very painful process. <laughs> it is unbelievably painful. So the getting these technologies into more financial institutions, to me, is entirely beneficial to everyone. Anyone who's ever experienced this would, would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the multiple, I mean, that's a great example of a use case involving multiple different entities, <laughs> paper, data, electronic, right? Probably phones, <laughs> you know, all kinds of different yeah. uh, systems. And, and, you know, a lot of, you know, even sort of in, in clearing and settling equities, right? Fax machines and phones are still used oh, yeah. in, in many ways. So it, it is crazy that, you know, the back office infrastructure that really powers all of this, you know, is very segregated and, and disparate data at different, lots of different entities. So it is a hard problem to solve, right? Synchronizing that without, you know, giving away privacy and, and confidential information to those who shouldn't have it. But yeah, the, the, the ability just to make a payment internationally is uh, is challenging alone, let alone before we get to sort of those even bigger, more complex uh, processes. You know, one of the things, and I want to close definitely with super positive things, because Bact is one of those companies that is trying to change the way we learn, understand, and implement, like you said, Bitcoin, blockchain technology, crypto, whatever you align to. I love the idea that this is making it more it's like you're playing a part in the education of consumers that this is a possibility, that this is how you can dabble in it. Give us an idea for yourself. What do you think your impact is going to be over the next five, 10 years? Do you think back will become like the, the, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be one of the top ways people are going to learn about this. Because like we said, there's so much greenfield because there's really only a handful of people that know about this to begin with. And with it being a part of credit card reward systems, I think I would bet 90% of consumers know what credit card rewards are. Yeah. So if this becomes readily available, the adoption rate could skyrocket. Yeah, as you said, right? And, and one of the unique things about Bact is our big loyalty business as well and, and having all those point yeah. integrations and having crypto alongside points even just sort of psychologically normalizes it to people that, okay, I know what those are. I have multiple points programs. I don't know necessarily what this piece is, but I'm interested and now I can just click a button and switch across from points to crypto. So it's a, it's a huge on-ramp for normal people to, to get started, to get dabbling, and then hopefully to, to see the benefit, make some money and, and learn along the way and, and get you know, uh, deeper and deeper into the space as they become more and more comfortable. Yeah, I, I can completely see how this is going to be one of the major let's call them flywheels or catalysts, whatever we want to call it, like putting crypto in a place where we're already used to it, as you already said it, this is this is probably the way. I mean, this, and I could see why I had to be spun out of a company like ICE because to deal with financial institutions is, is kind of hard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is, but uh, yeah, having the ICE heritage, having a lot of our team coming from financial services, and then, you know, I've been on the software side of delivering to financial services. So it, it is hard, but I would also say on that point, right, over the last six months, well, back nine years ago, it was when we were talking to banks, it had to be, oh, don't worry, we're not here to talk to you about Bitcoin. Don't worry about that. You know, we're here to talk to you about something else. But now it is... Uh, it's flipped from we're thinking about doing something with crypto to we have to do something with crypto. Yeah. Figure out what. They don't want to be left behind. Yeah. So it, it's past that tipping point of, yeah, let's say inevitability, but uh, banks can see their outflows going to crypto exchanges. They can see to the dollar how much money people are moving to Coinbase and Gemini and others. 
um, and they can see, hey, we're losing that that flow and we're losing that revenue cost. And these crypto exchanges are also trying to become banks in many ways. Yeah. So it is a competitive threat that you know financial institutions didn't really face at the advent of the internet because you know information is just replicable. And they were in the business of value, which isn't. Uh, but now, you know, there are ways for value to be moved across the internet uh, in a non-replicable way. So it is a potential sort of threat to them as well. So huge opportunity for them to adopt and be leaders in the space, balanced with a potential threat of being disrupted if they don't. Listen, the day personal staking comes here, this, or I mean, is more widespread adopted. I don't know. I know it's already here, but it's not as adopted as I'd like it to be. It's going to change the game for entrepreneurship. Uh, for for as someone who's operated in SMB for a long time, getting loans is pretty tough. When you're a small startup and you're trying to get loans, you don't have two years of history. It's really hard to get someone to loan you money. So, like the idea that I could let someone can do peer to peer lending, someone can stake crypto to possibly generate some cash flow uh, for those who have operated small businesses or big businesses. You already know, like revenue and cash flow, two completely different things. Like. <laughs> Cash pays bills, revenues or promises. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's going to forever change entrepreneurship because I think there's a lot of companies that probably could have done something pretty cool if they had just more access to capital. Right now, capital is really centralized across, like, let's say, institutional banks, VCs, whatever the case may be, big angels. But if you don't know those people, it's really hard. But like, if I could just show the world, like you said, hey, this is what I'm doing and allow other people to stake me, that'd be that'd be killer. Yeah, huge impact on the sort of capital and liquidity for for businesses, but also also for consumers, right? So I, yeah. I I actually embarrassingly don't have a credit card because I lived in China. I have no head credit history. I moved to the US. I still have no credit history. So I have assets. I have crypto. I have a house, but no one cares, right? So they don't want to 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 you know. I don't have that credit score history, but. If I can leverage that crypto and get a loan against it, or a crypto collateralized credit card, or you know, using my loyalty points programs that right now you can only use for sort of you know one or two things, how can I leverage those in a in a wider way to give me more liquidity and more access to capital that I can uh, I can you know, leverage for my day to day spending is is huge on the consumer level as well as businesses. Well, Dan, a couple things that I, I think. After talking to you, number one, I think your Chinese might be better than mine. Uh, <laughs> that might be a possibility. But number two, I want to go because uh, I'm a Capital One credit card holder and I'm an MX credit card holder and I didn't see them on back. So I'm going to start looking. I, I want to earn my rewards in crypto for sure. Right now, I'm making 2% in cash. But, you know, if I could make 2% in something else, I kind of would rather do that. So uh, I want to say thank you for saying what you've said. And I'm going to go shopping myself. If anyone wants to check it out, it's B-A-K-K-T. Uh, if you can learn more about Backed, if you want your merchant to have crypto rewards, go ahead and hammer them and tell them like, hey, credit card guy, get, get call up back. But I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. It was fun hearing your story. And I think you did a really great job of explaining something that for many might be a little obtuse, um, making it really clear and some of the possibilities of what can come, what can come in the future. Awesome. It's been a real pleasure, Albert. Thank you so much for having me.